The old lady put her bloody saw down so she could rest. She lit a cigarette and asked which podcast I like best. Well, my favorite podcast is Sometimes Dead is Better. Dead is Better. Sometimes Dead is Better. Hello and welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better, part two of our Mandy episode. And it's me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And Casey's still here. Hello. (laughs) And so Casey's a fan of the podcast, right? So what do we do after we talk about the movie? We do a true crime that has some sort of uh, similar aspects to what we're watching. Yeah, and usually I've seen the movie and I think either there's a true crime that it's based on or there's some way I kind of connect to true crime. In this case, I had a little bit of information. I knew there was a cult. I knew there was blood. (laughs) And I just found one that I thought might fit. I think it fits really well. I didn't want to give you too much because I didn't want to spoil the plot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure that's possible. (laughs) So what I'm going to talk to you guys today about is the Fall River Cult. And guess what? Takes place in the 80s. Didn't even realize this movie takes place in the 80s. This takes place in the 80s. So at the end of the 60s, you know, the counterculture was ripe with cults. There's all kinds you can learn about. There's the Wild Wild Country documentary. I love um, that. Of course, there's Charles Manson. And of course, the Manson murders were a huge ending of the 60s. That seems like it's very satanic. They wrote blood on the walls and you can listen to our once upon a time in hollywood episode we did the manson murders but really when we learn about it however long it took to for this information to come out that it was just a guy who was a egomaniac who controlled all these people there was no satan involved there was the beatles a bit that led them but that's about it but also i think mad men kind of shows that in a in a cool way because there's that one time when Roger's daughter runs off, you know, and he has to go get her from the cult, and she's living in the cult, and they mm-hmm. all live together, and it's like a commune, and and you see that these cults always start out with these good intentions, and it's like, we're all going to live together, we're going to wor- work together, and then somehow, it's like that scene in Arrested Development, Tobias is talking about how him and uh, his wife are going to try this thing that never works, but then he goes... But maybe this time. <laughs> and that's what it seems like these cults keep doing. It's like, well, maybe this time it won't dissolve into Waco or it won't become Jonestown. Then The Exorcist came out in like 72. Is that 72? I think so. And I mean, that really put a lot of people's fears right up there on the screen. Something that they really thought something could happen like that. And so then going into the 80s, then we start with the satanic panic. So parents were terrified that their kids were going to be sacrificed or involved in some kind of Satan rituals. We grew up in the 80s. I don't remember our parents ever worrying specifically about Satan. Or I remember it coming up a lot amongst the kids in school. And I, I remember some of the other parents like talking about it a lot. Like I remember, uh, you know, I didn't uh, go to a particular church, but there's, there's this local guy that would come around to all the churches, and I remember he gave a talk about how your favorite music was satanic, which was the first time I'd heard that. And you know, he said like you play whatever the latest Metallica was backwards. You know, there's all these messages, which I blew my mind when I was oh. like eight years old, uh, and that was big amongst the kids. And even uh-huh. some of my friends like were you know 
they had to get rid of their tape because they believed it. Uh-huh. Although with Metallica, I mean, that's not, I mean, who knows? But, um, but if they did that, it was like a joke, obviously. But um, so there was that. I remember some of the talk shows. And I remember my sister, uh, she had me convinced that there was a satanic um, temple or something in the town next over, which I guess would have been this town now I think about it. Oh, no. And that they only, and I had blonde hair and uh, back then, like really uh, thick blonde hair. And he said they only, for some reason, they only sacrifice kids with blonde hair and green eyes. I don't know why. <laughs> and, I, and I started crying. Um, so it, there's enough of it that, I mean, that's what I knew about it. But I think you're right. I, I don't remember a lot of people um, really believing it. Well, when I was a kid, we moved around a lot in a lot of different places and when i was a kid you could you, your parents could let you just wander a little bit so you, we would always go exploring the neighborhood and i remember if you came into an abandoned building or an abandoned shed or if you uh came to a certain spot where there's things hanging in the in the woods you'd be like oh those are the satanists those are satan worshipers and it is crazy but i've found many pentagrams like spray painted on, written on, and during that time, we'd be like, "Look, this is a pentagram. This is what Satan worshippers were." I mean, I remember that being in many different states a thing that you, when you were a kid and you're looking for, you know, you're just exploring the, the neighborhood you live in. If you came across an abandoned house, there'd be spray paint in there, and people would be spraying pentagrams. I mean, I don't know if there was actually, you know, things going on that that were there, or if it's just kids like I'm gonna I'm gonna do an anarchy symbol. I'm gonna do something crazy. Well, yeah, it's probably you know? kids. I That's mean, what I always thought. There's, there's not there's there was never any like real confirmed. Yeah. I will say that I did I guess But that's uh, what the everyone without yeah. without us having a conversation about being Satanists, we all kinda Oh, that's where the Satan worshippers are and And most of it kids. was a witch hunt. And then, and then people started lying about it because the kids would lie about it and there's a a really good story about this happening in a daycare and they, the kids were actually lying. They're saying that the, the teachers there were doing these satanic rituals. It was this whole thing. That was, would be a great story to do sometime, yeah. too. Well, there's also that Exiles episode. Yes, yes. Where, That's uh, one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. And, you know, where the one of the teenage girls has this crazy story about... It's like Sigi or something. How do you say it? Um, it's like S-Z. Well, no, I'm thinking about the one... Goodness. <laughs> Is that the name of it? <laughs> um, the one where the devil is like a substitute teacher. Oh, that's a different one that I was yeah. thinking about. But, you know, one of the girls that's supposedly being, uh, is one of the victims of these sacrifices. And, you know, she says she's being molested by, you know, uh, these Satanists and all these terrible things that happen. And, and Skull is like, no. <laughs> <laughs> You know, this is absolutely, she has this whole thing about how it's absolute nonsense. So there's no evidence that it's all, and it turns out that she was, you know, just molested by her family and that right. she kind of made up this story to, um, anyway, so that's what that reminds me of. Oh, I was thinking about the one with the two girls. That's a good one too. And there's like some sort of strange space alignment, but it, at first you don't know that. And so people are assuming that it's because Satan has gotten into them and they end up, is that, that's the one like where someone gets stuck behind the bleachers, right? Yeah. And they push the bleachers back. Hmm. But anyway, so Satanism is pretty much the worst things you could possibly think of. Cannibalism, animal sacrifice. But that was like in the 80s. But before that, I mean, Satanism, the Satan would be an excuse for anything. Like you said, like your music or women start wearing pants. Oh, that's Satan, you know? So that's kind of an excuse for anything that's kind of changing. The witch hunts. Yeah. And even like we saw that in the West Memphis 3 story where that that was more like into like when kids were getting into the goth period and that was looked upon like oh surely they're satanists and we have to do that story yeah. sometime but i mean it still comes up like even like uh 
when I remember when Magic Mike came out. <laughs> remember that movie? Yeah. My sister told me that at church, the preacher had said, now there's this new movie out called Magic Mike that I understand all you women are going seeing. Well, that movie is straight from the devil. It's the devil's <laughs> word. He was serious because oh it was gosh. a movie that encouraged women to go out and right. watch strippers, I guess. It's like, well, that's from the devil? I mean, I think it's just Steven Soderbergh. But, <laughs> <laughs> but people still, I mean, it's just kind of funny that people still attribute certain things that could be considered, I guess, progressive or something or just different that it's like from the devil. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny because I thought you were talking because it's there's a lot of dancing. Well, yeah, it could have been, it could have been Footloose. Huh? I, yeah, that's what I didn't even I didn't even factor in. It was like the men taking their clothes off. I assume like, that's what. It oh, was, he's banning it because they're dan- that's where my mind went to the dancing part of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our story takes place in Fall River, Massachusetts. So on the opposite coast, but still probably a similar type area. You know, lots of trees. Um, this is actually the home of Lizzie Borden who may or may not have killed her parents with an axe. She was acquitted, but there's still a lot of speculation as to what happened there. And you can spend the night at that house now, Chris, so I would like to do that sometime. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I did watch that uh, Chloe Sevigny movie on Libby Borden. Oh, did you? That's pretty good. Did you like it? Yeah. I think you talked about it one time on the way you've been watching. Oh, okay, yeah. Our fans are like, we know. All right, so this starts in the late 70s. And in the late 70s, sex work and drugs were on the rise in Fall River. They had some like textile plants shut down. And so this kind of like started to take over. And then violence started to escalate. 17-year-old Doreen Levesque body was found on the grounds of a high school in 1979. Her hands had been tied behind her back. She'd been sexually assaulted. There were cuts all over her body. Her bones were broken and her skull was so crushed that she couldn't even be identified at first. And it also looked like she had been stoned to death because there was lots of rocks around with the blood patterns on them. It also looked like there was multiple people involved in these killings. Doreen had been a runaway and was working as a sex worker. So this already seems very Manson-y, especially like he became essentially a pimp for these young girls. All right, so then Barbara Raposo was another sex worker in this. And after the murder of Doreen, her boyfriend, Andy Maltese, came to the police and filed a missing persons report for Barbara. And this was the first police had heard about a satanic cult in Fall River. Like, there had been rumors kids like to go into the woods and and talk about, like, like you were saying, you know. But this guy came forward and said that this was the result of the satanic cult. And the satanic cult seemed to be running through this sex worker ring in Fall River. But so with Andy, this guy was a pedophile, a rapist. He's a bad dude. But he brought a Bible with him in, and he said that he used to worship Satan, but now he worships Jesus, and he's a born-again Christian, which made me think of the Righteous Gemstones, one of my favorite characters ever, you know, Keefe. Mm-hmm. Have, have you watched that yet? No. Oh, That's Keith good. is the funniest, one of the funniest characters ever that's been on TV. And he was a Satanist and he is like reformed and, it, and he has like Satan tattoos on him and his like heavy metal friends try to encourage him to come back to the dark side. And it's, it's hilarious. He, and he, but he, the way he tre- acts like it, it's like he's like an alcoholic. Yeah, <laughs> like he like he could go back at any moment. He's like fighting it. I, I can't. I can't go back in. Oh my gosh, That's he's the best. All right, so Andy comes in and he says that her disappearance has something to do with the Satanist cult and leads them to Karen Mardson and Robin Murphy. 
So Karen was 22, another runaway working as a sex worker. Robin was 17, and she was described as cold and manipulative. It turned out later that actually Andy had been molesting her since the age of 11 and getting her into drugs. But then Robin and Karen were in a relationship together. But Robin really seemed to be kind of a Manson-y character herself. Like, she would sleep around with everybody, you know, to kind of to hold her power. She was prone to violence and had always kind of been into the occult. During the interrogation, though, Robin was stone cold, said she didn't know anything. But Karen broke down and said that Carl Drew killed Doreen Levesque. Now, Carl Drew was 26. He was also a runaway. He'd run away from home from an abusive father at the age of 14. And he got into the crowd with sex workers, bikers, got into drugs. His backstory was interesting. It kind of reminded me of the story that Mandy tells about her dad bringing the bag of baby birds because his dad, they owned like a slaughterhouse. And so he would make his son do the slaughtering of the animals, even though he hated it. And it made him very upset. And there was like a slaughter pit where they would throw all the bones and like the carcasses of the animals. And there was one story where the, a, the barn caught on fire and the animals died. And his dad told him that he had to chop up the horse that had was essentially like charred. And he wouldn't do it. And so he ran away. But as he ran away, he wasn't looking and he fell into the pit with all the dead animals and bones around him. And something like that in childhood can mess you up, you know? And that kind of just reminded me the same story of her dad with these small birds and any kind of thing like that. It's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. That's a pretty cool matchup. And so we learned that Carl is the girl's pimp. He's also running drugs. The police attempted to infiltrate this ring, posing as sex workers and pimps. They witnessed satanic chantings and meetings, but no evidence of murder. They did attend a satanic meeting at someone's apartment and... I think pretty much all they did was like chant for Satan and try to summon him. They started speaking in tongues, which is something that, I mean, a lot of even Christian religions believe in that. But also like, what do you do when you get Satan? Like what's the, you, you conjure him and then I guess you're supposed to work, he works through you? I don't know. And then also like if you finally meet Satan, what if it's a letdown? Wouldn't that be a bummer? Like if you finally, you finally get to meet Eddie Vedder, Chris, and then it's like, <sighs> <laughs> Don't even say it. Well, I'll, I always think that if you you conjure the devil to make a deal with him, and then he makes a deal with you, and then screws you over. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, do you want to live deliciously or not? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Also, so Robin and Carl were kind of rivals. Uh, she seemed to be running her own sex ring, and they kind of ran in the same circles, but they hated each other because they were both seemed to be like sociopath manipulators Karen kind of seemed to be trapped there and so the police kept in touch with Karen and Karen kept giving them some information but she denied police protection because she didn't want to get in trouble with the cult but she also was on a lot of drugs and so she slowly became like more erratic and so she said that Carl threatened to inject her with battery acid he threatened to beat them and pour goat's blood all over them and sacrifice them. 
And so she was really scared. And so at one point, the police, she told them, if I die, it was Carl Drew. So in 1980, a second body was found, that of 22-year-old Barbara Raposa, who Andy Maltese had filed that missing persons report about. She was found by a man walking his dog, which is just like the worst. Like those people who find the bodies too, like Mm. they have a hard time recovering, especially if they're kids. Uh, Her body had been beaten and stabbed and stabbed in the head. Her skull had been crushed. Her hands were tied behind her back, very similar to the other girl. The guy said that at first he didn't even recognize it as human. Like he thought it was like an animal carcass. So of course they bring in Andy, who filed the missing person's report. It was her boyfriend. And he describes everything that happened and how she was murdered. But he said it's because he saw it in a dream. He says he's clairvoyant, which I kind of wonder if maybe, because they're on so many drugs, they're all doing heroin and LSD, that maybe he did murder her, but he was so high that it seemed like a dream. Yeah. Because he also had mental issues, you know. And why else would you come to the police and tell them everything if you really didn't think you did it because then they handcuffed him and he was confused like wait no 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 I didn't do it I just know how it happened because I saw it in a dream and if you're on I mean even if it's not even like drugs but it's just like let's say that you you're drinking every day for seven straight days you're on a bender reality and being completely drunk out of your mind start to blend when you're that when you're like day four of Drinking all the wire. Yeah, but weight. they weren't just drinking. They had that's what hard I'm saying. drugs. That's on a minimum of that. So if you're on hard drugs and you're just getting, you're completely drugged out all the time, you don't have a good sense of what's real and what's not. All right, so Robin is trying to be smart about this. So she calls the police and says that she would testify to seeing Andy kill Barbara in exchange for immunity. Then she also says, oh, I was also present for the murder of Doreen Levesque. And I'll tell you about that for immunity, which the police grant her. So she claims that she'd been driving around with Andy and Barbara, and he became jealous that she was cheating, pulled over, beat her, and left her to die, which none of this adds up with how she was actually um, killed. Then on the other, with the other murder, she claims that she was driving around with Carl, a guy named Willie Smith, and Karen, and they found Doreen working the streets alone. They pulled her into the car, drove her to the high school, and took her under the bleachers, but Robin doesn't know what happened. But Doreen was tortured and had a very prolonged, violent death, and Robin claims that they were only out of the car for a few minutes. So none of this is adding up. Karen says that Robin had just as much to do with the murders as the men. Karen becomes more erratic, though. She's using drugs, and she becomes paranoid, and she's worried that she's going to be the one to be murdered next. And then she disappears. And Karen's toothless skull, just like the top of it, is found two months later. Pieces of her clothes and jewelry were found around, but her body was never found. And there was a rumor that they might have maybe dumped her into a pig farm somewhere, which is very like that Hannibal episode we talked about with Mason Berger. Or Snatch. And there is a real guy who murdered people that way, fed him to his pigs. Also around her, where they found the top part of her skull, there was bones of cats and sheep, uh, clumps of hair that had been pulled like straight out of her skull. But all that was left was like half of a skull and some hair. So at this point, another sex worker comes forward, Maureen Sunny Sparta. She told the police that Robin killed Karen 
Sonny had hosted satanic meetings in her own apartment, and she said sometimes they sacrifice goats and cats in the woods, but never people. So she's admitting that they did that, but she's now she's like, okay, now let's, I'm drawing the line. They're murdering people. Sonny actually calls Robin like from the police station, and they tap it, and Robin admits to being involved in the murder. She even describes like how she took all of her clothes off and did it in the nude, so that way she wouldn't get blood on her clothes. And so at this point, Sonny is act. I mean, Robin is actually in witness protection, living in Dallas. But after this, they're able to arrest her. So they arrest Robin for the murder of Karen, even though she has immunity for the other two murders. So Robin breaks down and tells the police she'll tell everything. However, her story changed many times. She claimed that she was the victim, and Carl Drew made her take part of the murders as a satanic ritual. She claims that Drew put her in a trance state and made her slit Karen's throat. She slit Karen's throat, but then Drew pulled her head off, and they kicked it around like a soccer ball, which also has happened in Mandy. Mm-hmm. She, they, there's a couple of heads that got kicked around. And one got a cigarette lit off. Yes. She also claimed that Drew tried to conjure Satan that night. He put an X on her forehead in Karen's blood, which is another Manson. An X on the forehead mm. is, a, is a Manson symbol. And Robin said that Carl made all the members of the church inflict wounds to the victim as part of the sacrifice. But probably it was because if you stab somebody, you're liable. Exactly. So you're not going to go to the police. But Robin was a young, pretty teenager. So the prosecution had no problem showing that she was a victim in the sex worker ring. She was given a sentence of second-degree murder, life with the possibility of parole. She spent 24 years in prison, and then after 24 years, she got out, but she violated her parole. I think she's back in. I'm not sure where she is right now. There's a guy named Carl Davis who was also involved, but there was no evidence against him, so they couldn't charge him. However, later, he beat Sonny, who was the woman who came forward and stabbed her in the head when she was three months pregnant. And he was only given seven years for that. She didn't die, but... Sounds like a fun bunch of people. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like hanging out with that biker gang. You know, it's like, can we stop with the murder and the killings now, please? Carl Drew got a life sentence. And he stabbed her in the head. Wasn't that how the other two... Didn't they have stabs in the head and crushed? Yeah. So that's kind of like a pattern yeah. of that he might be involved. So Carl Drew got a life sentence. Pretty much everyone around him testified that he was violent and threatening. He also had a record of assault and armed robbery, so he got put away for life. He has a website you can go to. He has his own blog where he's still trying to say that he's innocent and Robin did everything. Uh, now, this is a quote that I got from um, an article that I'll put on our webpage, because I didn't know how else to word this. So Paul Carey, a detective from the Fall River Major Crimes Division, this is his theory. I still believe that Murphy was the real ringleader, not Drew, that Levesque was murdered because Murphy was also in love with her and became jealous when Levesque started seeing Drew. I believe Murphy and Mardson were present when Levesque was killed, I think Murphy killed Raposa because Raposa was in love with Maltese. Murphy admitted that she and Raposa had previously been lovers, and I believe Murphy killed Marsden because of the two previous murders. Marsden was at the scene of those murders, and I believe Murphy knew she was weak and might get them convicted. 
Makes perfect sense. There's no way to break that down. Like, it's so complicated. And it's very much like a Manson-type family-type thing because those people were involved with each other. Some of them were higher up on the uh, totem pole to Manson. Manson tried to put blame onto other people. But, yeah. Love triangles galore. And a bit That's of like a love octagon. Almost like just office politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Barbara's boyfriend, Andy Mateus, was convicted of her murder and given life. No one was ever tried or convicted in the murder of uh, Doreen Levesque, which is kind of sad. A lot of the satanic meetings seem to be held in a forest called Freetown State Forest, which is apparently a hotbed for people to go and like check out paranormal stuff. In November 1978, the body of 15-year-old Mary Lou Aruda was found to a, tied to a tree in the woods there. Um, which also may have been connected to this cult, too. It's a little earlier. It's just one year before, and she wasn't tied to that sex worker ring. Probably other victims. Seems like if they had an HR person, it would have been okay. <laughs> yeah, they definitely needed some uh, Toby in there. <laughs> but so that forest, there's also like a shack that was there that was allegedly used for orgies and you know, drug use, and there was a big slab that probably they, that's where they held their satanic rituals, and all that is probably like what you guys did. You go into the forest, and you'd say, this is where this happened, and because the bodies weren't found there. They were found other places, you know, but that was the story in the town that this is where they went to do their satanic rituals, and so there's a lot of, like, ghost hunters that go to this forest and stuff, so I think we should go there, too, while we're at the Lizzie Borden house. Okay. And go stop by there. But again, it's not really clear how much of these crimes actually were tied to the satanic part of this. You know, it could have been the times and the, the satanic panic was high. And maybe these people dabbled in the occult, but it really wasn't their main motivation for killing. It seems more that they were angry. They were power hungry. There were people who were going to tell. And it was, you know, keeping them quiet. And maybe they were already violent. And so... They just blamed it on a satanic panic. The detectives were also very Catholic. They'd probably just seen The Exorcist, you know. And that, that makes better headlines. Well, and that was a uh, a way to kind of write off, well, those are satanic people. They're, they're not the norm. Yeah. They're they're not they're not regular people that are acting. They, there's something wrong with it. It's a way to just kind of like push it aside as not... That's, a, that's an isolated thing. But like the real... Church of Satan started like in the 60s, probably the same time that these cults were started. And it's not anything to do with blood sacrifice or all these stuff are kind of made up, I think, by movies and it it makes it more exciting. But like the real Church of Satan is pretty boring. They're very like hedonistic type people. They, They believe that anything you want to do, you should be able to do. It's a very free will type yeah. thing. I don't think they even believe in Satan as like a entity or a thing. They yeah. They just like a being. Yeah, they use him like as a metaphor for you know, like a like a spiritual leader, right. <laughs> like an example to follow. But they don't. I don't think they don't think actually think that he really exists, and they don't certainly don't intend to conjure him. They just it's like almost like in the flip side of Ayn Rand, like people that read Ayn Rand a lot. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, objectivism. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Just, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Do what thou wilt. And so that is the story of the Fall River Colt. I don't know if there's any members left up there in Fall River, but... And let's uh, legalize sex work and make it safe for everybody, okay? I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, so that was our part two 
of Mandy. Burn, Mandy, burn. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, join us next week. I don't know what movie we're going to be doing, but it'll be a nice surprise. But talk to us on all of our social media places. Let us know if you have any ideas and don't worship the devil. Right. Do not. Right. <laughs> Bye. Right. Bye. Hey, Chris. Hey. I just listened to the last episode of Sometimes That Is Better, and I have thoughts. Really? That is amazing, because I just listened to our Child's Play 3 episode, <laughs> and boy, did we get some things wrong. So how do I tell us? How do we get in touch with us? I think the most fun way is to follow us on Instagram, okay. at Sometimes Dead Podcast. At Sometimes Dead Podcast. Slide into our DMs, comment on our photos. What about Twitter? Well, you can follow us on Twitter at Sometimes Dead 4. Twitter is fun because we like to tag all these famous people who will never see it, but it's fun to think that we can connect with them. Right. We've gotten a few likes from famous people. That's um, true. Mary Lambert. Nick Garris. Mm-hmm. That's probably about it. The guy that uh, does a lot of the Twin Peaks uh, fandom, he, he liked us. Good, good. Also, another fun way is to, we have a Facebook group called Sometimes Groups Are Better. Right. In lieu of doing all that, you can always rate subscribe and review well do that first rate and review on itunes because that is the number one thing to do apparently it really helps us move up in the ratings and then other people see us and then we increase the community and just it's beautiful excellent we'll do that first okay well sounds good now uh, let's go watch child's play four (laughs) right all right